the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes, because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Hey, leave kids alone. Welcome to Education America, where we're working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. How true that is. It is. Nice to see you again, Abigail. Good to see you, Rebecca. Yeah, we're going to have a little... Uh, interesting conversation, just the two of us tonight. I know. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. We, we have so many wonderful guests and sometimes it's hard to even get them all scheduled and fit them all in. And today we decided we're going to take a little break from guests and have a conversation, actually a continuing conversation, right? Yes. About a book that we've brought up a few times. You can go ahead and introduce our audience. To yes. That book. So tonight we're going to revisit the, um, 2018 book, The Coddling of the American Mind. And I have heard from some of our listeners who have heard previous shows, and um, they all kind of said, it's worth revisiting. Mm -hmm. Um, So we won't be repeating uh, past conversations, just so you know. We are going to focus on the topic that's addressed in the book. It's called Paranoid Parenting, or (laughs) otherwise, we all know them as helicopter parents. Or as my administrative team has um, read that another new term is actually lawnmower parents. Oh my gosh. So imagine helicopter versus lawnmower. There's, there's quite a difference. Thankfully, we don't have uh, lawnmower parents at Liberty. So yes. I'm very grateful for that. Yes. <laughs> but what I think will be very interesting about this conversation too is, um, you know, you parented in a different time than I am parenting. And I'm very mm-hmm. curious to see how our perspectives have changed, Mm -hmm. you know, over the years, because I think that's something that the book really chats about is basically saying that children who grew up in um, earlier years, so basically, I'd say, late age millennials and older, had a lot more unsupervised free time Mm -hmm. than younger generations. So again, they call them like the I generation or Generation Z. So basically, he's making the case that, you know, in part, some of these rising issues that we're seeing in our society, in part, are a result of how we have overparented mm-hmm. our kids. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into um, just a really thorough discussion of that. And I, I found it fascinating. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating. And, you know, you made the point earlier that we were raising our children at different points in time, which is true. My children are all grown now. 
But even comparing my own childhood experience with how I raised my children mm-hmm. versus what we're seeing today. I mean, back when I was a young child, we roamed the neighborhood. I yep. mean, and we lived in town. It was a small town, um, a quiet, nice town along the river, the St. Croix River. Um, but our parents didn't worry about us. They knew that we were going to be parented by whichever parents we happened to be in the yard <laughs> of or in the house of at any given time. And there happened to be a church and a, and a vacant parking lot um, near one of our homes, near our home, actually. And so we spent a lot of time in that parking lot riding our bikes and uh, making forts in the in the woods or in in the bushes next to it. And we would ride our bikes downtown to the Ben Franklin and we would get penny candy. And that was right on Main Street. Yep. And our parents never worried about us biking downtown and doing that. Mm-hmm. And today, I think because we do have these heightened fears of safety for our children, people are much less willing to let their children take their bikes and ride into town and get penny, well, it's hard to get penny candy anymore, but, um, you know, even go to get an ice cream cone or what have you. And Mm -hmm. um, so there has been, and I know, you know, in some cases, in some respects, there's some validation to this, right? I mean, I remember that when my oldest son was in elementary school, it was when Jacob Wetterling was abducted and never found until just, I think, in the last, what, five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, that did that had a chilling effect yes on people's willingness to let their children out of their sight mm-hmm. and i will say it, it it affected me i remember telling my son cuz he would go out to the bus stop at that time and i couldn't see him at the bus stop and i would tell him you know now if you are approached by anybody you need to get on that bike and ride home um and you know you had to have conversations with your kids that you wouldn't have wanted to have and i do think that in some respects, that has been a big chilling effect on people's um, willingness to let their children venture out. But those stories, in all reality, are quite rare. It's kind yeah. of like airplane crashes. You hear about them, they're frightening, and it does make some people afraid to fly. But most people overcome their willingness or their fear, and they're going to go fly anyway, mm-hmm. right? Um, but but with when it comes to your children you're much less willing to take that risk. Yes. And therefore we run into this whole notion of, well, I'm going to try to protect my child from every single risk that there is. Yep. Which is impossible. And it actually isn't good for them because. Yes. Because to what? And well, and this was in all honesty, you know, I have kids that for a long time, I was the mother of babies and toddlers. Mm-hmm. And it has been a very, very odd thing for me to, while I do still have young children, they are not babies anymore mm-hmm. and they are not toddlers anymore. Mm-hmm. And they are in these ages where I, that they're talking about in the book where realistically you could start to let go a little bit. And I went, I really don't like that. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. I mean, not my kids, right? Like you guys out there, you do this with your right. kids. And I, and so in all honesty, I've been, you know, this was a great reflection point mm-hmm. of, okay, and why? Because the point that he makes in the book, like so many things, is problem solving, resilience, and independence are are like muscles. Mm-hmm. You are not going to be able to go into the gym right off the street and deadlift 220. 
you're going to have to go into the gym and lift five pound weights and then 10 pound weights and then 50 pound weights and the, and you need to go and you need to have lots of repetition. And that is how then you're able to do this great feat. And so our role as parents is to prepare children to go out into the world and be problem solvers, be resilient and be independent. But we're not actually in our society now preparing our kids to do that because to do that, we need to let them experience hardship, frustration, being told no, um, but also being unsupervised because that allows them to problem solve. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book he uh, and um, various interviews I've watched now with the author, he compares it to um, a wine glass. And he said, you know, when we're looking at we want to raise anti-fragile kids. What does that mean? If you have a wine glass on a ta- on the table, you do not give it to a toddler because you know that thin glass, if he knocks it over, it will fall to the floor and it will shatter into a million pieces. So what do we do? We give toddlers sippy cups. Mm-hmm. They're made out of plastic. You can chuck them against the wall and nothing's going to happen. And they and even make them now so that they don't spill when they turn them upside down. Which, My kids would just yes. dump them upside down and <laughs> out came the milk or the water or whatever was in them, just poured all over their trays. <laughs> and they liked that. Yeah. But when you only give your kid, but you have to then gradually increase your child's exposure um, so that they do eventually, the goal is you do not want your 20-year-old using a sippy cup. You know, you want your you want your 20-year-old to have the muscle and the discernment. And you don't and the, want your 25-year-old living at home. Yes, you do not want that. You want them to go up, but you can't. You can't just, you know, when they then they're a senior in high school, you say, okay, well, great. Now you're on your own. Good luck. But you've mm-hmm. paid all their bills. You've taken care of all of their homework problems. They've never had to advocate for themselves. And they've never been alone to make a mistake mm-hmm. or to maybe have someone be mean to them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and again, I'm thinking of this from a parental perspective of, well, I don't, I don't want my child to experience someone being mean. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but that's part of learning how to deal with that is – these little doses, he also compares it to the immune system. Yeah. And we have all seen this now over the past three years. You know, when people came out of lockdown and you'd only been around your family and you'd maybe not been anywhere for a significant period of time, what happened when you began to reintroduce other people in new situations um, into your life again? People got sick. And they got sick a lot because their immune system, in order for your immune system to thrive, it needs constant exposure to viruses, bacteria, germs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why um, there's actually a lot of good studies on things like antibacterial wipes mm-hmm. um, are actually not very they're, helpful. Right, they're harmful. Because it's taking, taking away, away the stressor. Mm-hmm. And again, mild stressor. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about true Major bullying or t- true mm-hmm. trauma or true but, you know, sickness. But to your point, that is actually one of the problems is that because parents seek often, and especially in this whole realm of helicopter parenting, often parents are seeking to protect their children from any sort of pain, whether that be academic pain, whether that be physical pain, whether that be emotional pain. And by doing so, they're actually creating these children who don't have the ability to stand up against anything. Mm -hmm. And often you'll hear 
in in um, various circles that, well, my child was being bullied. But when you hear what really happened, often that's just normal childhood behavior mm-hmm. where they just need to figure out how to work things out together. Yes. And they can't have a parent rushing in or a teacher rushing in and solving the problem every single time or they don't learn those skills. Yes. And granted, to your point, if there's you know, full on bullying, mm-hmm. then obviously there that needs to be addressed. Yes. But I think there's this notion of the creeping of the meaning of words. And mm-hmm. I hear parents using the term bullying more frequently than they did twenty years ago. Yes. And often when I dig into what that really means, it's not necessarily real bullying behavior. It's just not a child not being nice. Yep. And just because a child's not being nice doesn't mean they are bullying. And I think what we have to do is help people kind of reset their expectations of, okay, part of the reason why children are children is because they're learning how to navigate life. They're learning how to get along with others. They're learning how to learn. And, and all of these things, as you point out, take practice. Yes. And so if you protect a child from any type of negative interaction with another peer, then you're never going to teach your child to negotiate, to figure out how to befriend that child. Maybe your child is demonstrating some antisocial behavior that you're not even aware of, mm-hmm. and you're just going to rush in and judge this other child for being a bully when maybe they're just responding mm-hmm. to your child's antisocial type behavior. And so all of this has to be practiced in the context of school and home if you have siblings, you yes. know, obviously oh. when you have siblings, you have four, I, I have, have four. to tell you, we're at an epic <laughs> level right now They're at practicing home. a lot right now, it's, huh? I, I, and <laughs> I will say their skills. there's been an awful lot of, mommy does not want to hear about this anymore. You need to go and figure this out because yes. I can tell you're just tattling now. Yep. This isn't a chronic thing where, you know, it's an, an egregious violation of our family values or whatever it's I don't like this I think this was kind of mean okay well then did you go and talk to so-and-so about it because that would be the person that need you need to go use your words and go talk to that person about it Mm -hmm. and you need to figure it out by yourselves (laughs) oh my god it's so good that you're doing that because as I pointed out, there are a lot of parents who don't want to do that. They want to jump in and they want to protect. They might be more willing to do it at home with their own children, but mm-hmm. if their children are involved in something at school, they're less likely to allow that to play out. Mm-hmm. And I think that, again, we just have to try to pull back and take a you know thousand, thousand, thousand mile look or a thousand foot look yes. at what is happening and and resist that temptation to, you know, A, also overschedule our kids so that they never have any free time to yes. know what to do. Why are they bored the instant they don't have something going on in their lives? Mm-hmm. Why do they quick turn to their phones if they're older, yep. you know, because they don't have anything going on? Well, it's because if they're overscheduled all the time, they literally don't know what to do with downtime. Yeah. They don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And so we need to be starting to, we have to start being intentional about scheduling downtime for yes. the kids. And, you know, I know our rule in our family's house was one sport per season or one activity per season. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have them running to various, you know, team sports. You know, if, if they were on a team sport, that was what they did that season, mm-hmm. fall, winter, spring and summer. Yep. And one thing, that's all they got to do. 
And I know that that may seem limiting, but what that did is it taught them how to deal with some downtime. It also gave them more margin for their homework, their schoolwork, yep. because they weren't running a million miles an hour to every which you know activity. Yes. And again, that's what builds resiliency in kids. That's what builds... Um, you know, the ability to navigate the ups and downs of life because you're yeah. given some ups and downs. I bet it also gave you all time as a family to sit down and eat yes. together and have yeah. those conversations yep. about yep. this is what happened today and so-and-so said this and I'm so mad. Yep. And then, then you can talk through with them. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, tell me more. Yep. What was your part? What did you mm-hmm. say? And I... Yeah, I just I I know some, you know, not everyone's going to agree on this, but I just I do agree on it's kind of a running joke with some of, uh, you know, my friends have. So are you still holding firm on that? No, you know, no sports line. And again, my kids are younger. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying we'll never do sports. Yeah. Um, And we highly value physical activity um, and different things. But we need that time. Mm-hmm. We and again, that's just for us. Mm-hmm. What works is, but it's no. I want us to eat together as a family, yeah. and sometimes it is so annoying. It is so hard. I don't want to talk to them <laughs> anymore. And, and in all, and I mean, every parent knows that that you. But but, but that's I also, also where you can teach manners. Yes, it's manners, and yes. it's you know what. This is yeah. the time that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, to this is the time. You know, in ten years, I get like our relationship will change. This is my opportunity now to even if. Yes, I kind of wish. I kind of wish we weren't doing this. Sometimes this is hard. Mm-hmm. I wish that you would stop touching that or please, you know, stop picking your feet. Why are mm. you picking your feet <laughs> at the dinner table? It's so gross. <laughs> no, don't do that. But but this is the time to build those relationships mm-hmm. and so well, that we can have those discussions. And I will say having raised four sons, we were very much involved in sports, but like I said, one one activity mm-hmm. per season. And we were still committed to family dinners. And so the way we actually did that as the kids got to be busier and, you know, the commitment is more significant for a varsity player yes. versus a elementary player, right? And so what we did is we waited until mm-hmm. our varsity player was done. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that meant that we were sitting down as a family at 7.30, p.m. Mm-hmm. eating dinner after a game. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd give them snacks after school and we would commit to that dinner time afterwards. And so you can still commit to family dinners even mm-hmm. when your kids are involved in activities. So I agree that's important. One of the things that I think that is important for us to also note, because I noted earlier that, you know, this whole idea of, you know, this Jacob Wetterling case, you know, really sent chills down the spines of, of parents all over America, and it made them want to hold their children closer. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, even if a parent is able to sort of take a step back and say, okay, that's the rare, that's the rare yes. situation, and we just need to make some wise choices for our children to have a little freedom so that they can have some um, ability to choose to go away from home for, you know, a couple blocks or whatever and, yes. and experience maybe just some of the struggles that go along with not being right in the backyard at every moment, being watched by your mom every single moment of every single day. But then on the flip side of that, there has been pressure, social pressure oh, yeah. to not oh, yeah. allow your kids out of your sight. So there's an example that he shares in this book about um, two parents who were charged with felony child neglect in 2015 when they were delayed in returning home. And their 11-year-old 
son was unable to get into the house, so he sat and played basketball outside in the driveway for one and a half hours. An 11-year-old. Back in my day, there were 11-year-olds that were babysitting. Oh, yeah. I'm not kidding. Fifth graders were easily babysitting for other children. And um, the parents, sadly, were arrested, strip-searched, fingerprinted, and held overnight in jail. The parents were arrested for negligence, and their two boys were placed in foster care for a month. Yep. This is because an 11-year-old was... Playing Let, basketball. Yeah, playing basketball in his driveway because he couldn't get into his house. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened, no problem, but the neighbor tattled on him and said, oh, this is terrible parenting oh, because yeah. the parents weren't there. So there. So then, of course, it's going to put pressure on parents to not let their kids out of their sight, yep. to not let them, you know, bike to the grocery store, to the convenience store, you know, what have you. Yep. How many and parents have so such a had a, a baby sleeping in the car? Okay, they fell asleep in their car seat. And I just, I just need to run into the, you know, pharmacy or wherever for, I know I'm going to be five minutes. It's perfectly fine. You know, it's a fine temperature. Nothing's going to happen. We're in a safe neighborhood. And yet you go, yeah, but I don't want some nosy Nelly calling the <laughs> cops because I just didn't want to wake my baby mm-hmm. up, you know, yeah. so that I could be inside for five minutes. They'll be fine in the yeah. car. And that is a very real thing. So yeah. they're very much are, it's a multifactorial analysis as to why our culture has gone yeah. the way that and it has yet gone. we have to find that happy medium because what we see over and over is when parents are anxious about their children mm-hmm. that gets passed on to the children yep. and the children become anxious and what do we have in our country right now we have the highest level of anxiety and depression in kids today than ever before in the history of you know, having measured these statistics. And we know COVID contributed to that, but we were already complaining about the rise of of anxiety, stress, and depression in children even before COVID came along. Mm -hmm. All that did was exasperate an already existing problem that was growing. And I do think that we need to help um, young parents understand that part of helping their children deal with anxiety and depression is to build resilience in them and to Mm -hmm. let them venture out. Let them have to struggle. If they forget their lunch one day, don't go rescuing them every single time. If it's once, okay, maybe. But if this is a repeated pattern, you need to help them experience natural consequences. If they forget their snow pants one day and they come home wet, don't yell at them. Just say, okay, well, I bet tomorrow we're going to make sure that those snow pants end up in your backpack, Yeah. right? And of course, the younger they are, the more you're going to help them. But when it comes to fourth and fifth graders where they can remember this, there's no need to be rescuing them and coming running in with the with the snow pants because, oh, I don't want their pants to be wet, you know? Yes. And so there's just a lot of examples like that, that I think um, if parents can help their kids struggle a little bit, mm-hmm. um, their their children are going to build that resiliency. Well, and there's a great book. I know a lot of parents have read it called Love and Logic. Yes. Um, we did that with you know, our staff. Yeah. All the, ago. you know, and again, it's just natural consequences um, so that, so that kids, ex- you know, the best teacher is failure in a lot of time, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of situations. So that makes sense. But again, if if kids always have an adult, whether it's a teacher or a parent or a coach, immediately coming in and, and being the referee or being the person that they can turn to to um, because there is conflict of some sort. And again, we're not mm-hmm. talking about true 
trauma or bullying where someone's right. life is in serious danger mm-hmm. and that it's, you know, we all need to use our our judgment here. We understand that there's a difference between absolutely deplorable behavior where, of course, that's what adults Adult are for. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is part of or just well, she didn't talk to me and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm mad because mm-hmm. she's talking to someone else. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's hard. And I understand that, that that's hard. And those need to be talked through. Yes. And that's right. what they talked about in the book was that home should be the place, always should be the safe place to come back to. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where you, but to learn to go out in the world and then come back and be able to talk to mom or dad with mm-hmm. whatever it was, either the triumphs or the mm-hmm. challenges, but building up, Experiencing frustration mm-hmm. enables children to become more resilient. And and then the resiliency adds to their ability to be independent. And yes. that's really the goal of parenting is to develop kids who are independent, who can then go out, support themselves. They're not going to look to the government for help. They're not going to look to their neighbor for help. Unless obviously they're in some really, you know, very difficult circumstances. But I mean, this idea of being independent is so important. And we have, you know, it's kind of the running joke now in America, you know, how many parents have their 25 to 35 year old kids living at home? (laughs) Well, that means, you know, and we even had a movie about it, right? The funny movie failure to launch. (laughs) And, um, we have to, we have to take it seriously and realize that developing those skills starts when they're young. I wanted to read a quote from um, a researcher at Harvard. Um, Putnam is his last name. And he says, moderate stress buffered by supportive adults is not necessarily harmful and may even be helpful. I would argue it definitely is in that it can promote the development of coping skills. On the other hand, severe and chronic stress especially if unbuffered by supportive adults, can disrupt the basic executive functions that govern how various parts of the brain work together to address challenges and other problems. Consequently, children who experience toxic stress have trouble concentrating, controlling impulsive behavior, and following directions. But that moderate stress buffered by the supportive adults is what actually promotes the healthy development and coping skills of children. And so it's important to have that distinction in your mind that not all stress is harmful. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's beneficial. And even, you know, saying to their child, you're having trouble with that teacher, you need to go talk to that teacher. If they're in middle school, you need to start having your kids self regulate and self um, advocate and, you know, have those conversations. It deepens the independence and allows them to shine. And And this is one of the things that at least historically we are known for in um, in the United States. Yes. Um, Alex de Tocqueville, when he traveled around America in the early 1830s. So he was, as you can tell from his name, he was French. Yeah. And he traveled around America and he was amazed with the attitude of Americans that when there was a problem to be solved, they got together and figured out how do we solve this? I love that. However, he noted in his book, Democracy in America, that in France, people would just kind of wait around for the king Mm -hmm. or the government to do it. Mm -hmm. The common people in France didn't feel like they could solve problems, that they had kind of the locus of control. But historically in America, we have because Mm -hmm. we've had to be self-reliant. And I think that most of us want that trait to continue And we Mm -hmm. want that in our children. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now we need to, you know, myself included, think about, okay, how can we 
with intentionality and tailored to our own family and our own kids, how do we help cultivate that? Mm -hmm. How do we, are we doing too much as a parent? Yeah. Yep. And I think on that note, we have to end our conversation here as we're down to a few seconds. But The Coddling of the American Mind, uh, it's a great book. I highly recommend it for every parent and really even non-parents as well. It's an excellent book. And you can listen to this show and others of our shows on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify. Um, Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And follow us at our website, savetheclassroom.com. Have a great night. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.